Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you so well. Holy crap, it's working. Hello and welcome to episode number 41 of Future Chat. We are turning down for what here today on Future Chat. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host, Mike Attrell. How you doing, Mike? Great. Glad it's to hear a lazy it. Sunday afternoon. Indeed it is. Also here, unsure of his future in life, I have Nick Maddox. Nick, how are you? I'm turned up. In fact, I, I believe <laughs> it begs the question um, that, you know, for what would I turn down? That's true. And now, so viewers of the show who have been watching for more than the last few weeks will know the answer to why Nick is unsure of himself. And we have a question to pose for Nick today. I'm not sure why. I, <laughs> so I just, I just want to, I want to check in with you. Okay. And uh, you've been a senior contributor on this show for about the last two months, three months. And three weeks officially. Still- Am I not Officially. still a senior contributor? Well, I'm asking you live on air if you want a promotion to co-host. No. Or is that too much pressure? Uh, you know my reasoning. Do you want to go live on air with the reasoning? Yes. Because I think it's poor optics for three co-hosts to be sitting around with no special guests. And uh, I felt my role had advanced past special guest to contributor and frankly I'm the senior contributor but uh yeah also I mean I want to be the uh I want to be able to go off on these tangents and things like that I want to be reined in I don't want to have to like be worrying about other people interesting so you want to be a loose cannon basically is what I'm hearing <laughs> yeah yeah should I change my uh, lower third to reflect that no, I think that's fine. We're we are sponsored this week by Tech Savvy. They're, the internet for all three of us is working today. I don't know if we're sponsored by Tech Savvy, but we are literally brought to you by Tech Savvy this week. It's very it's exciting, true. especially <laughs> after the debacle last week. Yeah, one how third, was your Saturday last week? One third brought to us by Telus, but I was I was so angry. <laughs> but now you're here. Apparently, I really enjoy these guys. I was pretty cheesed to not be uh, not be on. And you couldn't even watch, if I understand correctly. Your downstream speed was just bad enough you couldn't even maintain video. It was my upload speed was better than my down. It was I was getting less than one megabit per second down. Terrible. Oh. That's a shame because we had a very good show last week. We did. I listened to it. It was okay. <laughs> it was missing a certain something. It was. Quality. <laughs> Everything went wrong. Uh, uh, so, yes, fans of the show, last week we tried an experiment, and this week we're going to continue that experiment and moving away from doing one topic for the show for the entire time and then kind of starting anew every week. It was a little bit tiresome for us. It took a lot of research, and we ended up trying to cover way too much every episode. Maybe if you'd relied more on your senior contributor. We tried. We really, really tried. It wasn't enough. (laughs) 
But oh, so oh, what we're doing? Sorry. I got a <laughs> again. I got a, I got a little tease. Yeah. Go ahead. I just lay down there. Maybe if I want uh, want something with more hosting, you know, responsibilities, I would uh, find another outlet for that. Maybe, maybe yeah. you will. Yeah. <laughs> Only time will tell. <laughs> it's true. Who knows? <laughs> so. On this show now, we're going to try again part two of the the experiment, see how it goes, where we're just going to talk about some of the most interesting things that we have experienced and gone through this week in science and technology. You guys on board with that? Sure am. Well, I mean, the notes for this week would suggest that we are on board. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to jump right into it. We're going to start with a story that I just found interesting and wanted to get you guys Sort of less technical. Yeah. Hold up. Like we could, I did have some follow up because I did listen to last oh. week, week's episode. Did By you all means, that's a, section, that's a better did place you? to start. I did read your notes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I mean, that jump right, right in, now, Nick. Just suggest that you hadn't. So go for it. I feel like a host, a responsible host, would have gone through the notes several times and actually known what was there. But you know, you know, that's, it's not my place to criticize, I suppose. I mean, go ahead. You're already breaking the show. (laughs) (laughs) Noah, but you guys talked about uh, surface texture for solar cells and the implications that could have. That's actually, it's it's not like, you know, a brand new idea. It's been around for at least a few years. Um, I remember reading not a terribly long time ago about uh, using hydrofluoric acid, just like, dilute solutions to roughen the surface of uh, solar cells, specifically silicon solar cells, which is great because silicon is so much more plentiful than all the other materials they're thinking about using. And uh, what you end up getting is a, like a square pyramid structured that just layers across the entirety of the uh, solar cell. So, I mean, if you follow actual rays of light hitting the surface, on a normal solar cell, that would just, you know, come in and bounce off. But with a roughened surface like that, you increase the chances that you're getting multiple bounces within one single ray of light. And, you know, that factor increase of uh, absorption and thus energy production. But yeah, so surface roughening is a great idea. I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of potential for that idea within solar cells. Mm-hmm. No one's yeah. laughing at the potential joke there. That's cool. That's a very, very highbrow joke. So what <laughs> did you, you uh, can, sorry, can you confirm the, uh, the efficiency percentage number we were trying to clarify there? Oh, it, in, uh, in all the articles, it was fairly ambiguous as far as what the actual efficiency level was in your offhand. Oh, I'm senior contributor knowledge. Yeah, as your as a senior contributor, maybe you should have this information in front of you. Especially maybe since as, you brought it up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I worked alongside people doing solar research. Guys, did that occur to you? Yep. It did. Oh, well, would go you ahead. agree? Would you agree that forty percent efficiency sounds very high? That's extremely high. Yeah. Like, I okay. I don't think that's like I'm sure Maybe one day you could reach that, but part of the problem as it stands is there's only a certain percentage of uh, 
photons that a solar cell can actually use. And so that's like you end up with theoretical limits where you just you can't use the entirety of the spectrum unless you're talking about using it for heat energy and usually you're not. Right. Um, hmm. But I want to say it's this may be way off and loyal viewers, please let me know. I want to say just off the top of my head, it's between like 10 and 20% efficiency right now, mm -hmm. like for good cells. And so the Blu-ray was, a, a they said a 20% increase on that, that efficiency. And so it's yeah. about 24%. I don't, I don't think they're talking percentage points. I think they're right. talking. Yeah. yeah. So like Person, yeah. it's increased by a fifth of what it was. Yeah. Okay. So we're Fair all in agreement then. We are. I'm glad. Uh, I like it when we agree about things. Do you want to again continue, Nick? I was going to say disagreement leads for leads to some very interesting listening. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Feel free to disagree on some other follow up of yours. Oh, let me double check. Um, <laughs> oh, hydrogen and graphene, like capturing hydrogen gas with graphene. Yeah. That was talked about. That's mm -hmm. an interesting proposal. I'm not sure how they seek to ionize hydrogen with graphene, but if they can do it. I don't think they were seeking to ionize it. They were using graphene as a physical barrier that only allowed hydrogen through. Oh, okay. I don't. Can hydrogen fit through if it's not tunneling? Well, that's what we were, that's what I was talking about. I was saying the only thing I could think of is if it was tunneling, because it's kind of like shoving a beer bottle through chicken wire. It wouldn't. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, do you remember? Uh, did you take second year biochem? Yes. I did. Do you remember Mesel, Doctor Mesel? Mm -hmm. And for anyone who's had Doctor Mesel, you will recognize the phrase. So, guys, the guy at the bus stop is asking you. What's what's the biggest element from the first column of the periodic table that can fit through uh, graphite? What is it, guys? <laughs> because, of course, the guy at the bus stop would ask you such a question. Of course um, he would. But, I mean, if you're considering the the orbitals, like, there's no room to get through graphene unless it's tunneling, which... Yeah. I think it stands a reasonable chance of tunneling, just having not performed any of those calculations for years now. But yeah. So for those those layman chemistry enthusiasts in the crowd, can you explain what tunneling is? Uh, in this context, we would be talking about a molecule of hydrogen gas approaching a sheet of graphene. And then just being on the other side all of a sudden. In in a quantum probability sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, they, they say that quantum tunneling is akin to, in the, in the classical physics world, it's akin to like walking towards a door, a closed door, and just going through it. Like it's, it's so yeah. unlikely, but on a quantum level, it happens all the time. If we're talking about like in the strict physical sense, it means you've just penetrated through an energy barrier somehow yeah. without actually expending that energy. 
So in this case, we're saying it would take a certain amount of energy to cram a hydrogen molecule through a sheet of graphene. And it's probably not going to do that according to classical mechanics, but just because it's the quantum world at that scale, it's just all of a sudden it's on the other side for some reason. Yeah, but it was pretty cool because they, yeah, they were saying that the original calculations show that it wouldn't happen at all, even tunneling. And then the later calculations, which is the one they were, the ones they were talking about were saying that it can happen. And then they were starting tests showing that it could. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. No, I thought you were talking about using it for like fuel cell technology. And I was well, that's like, it's yeah, it's similar to fuel cells, but not not exactly. <clears throat> I'm yeah, but I mean the other problem if you're talking about using hydrogen as a fuel for fuel cells is you're usually talking about compressed hydrogen, and this is uh off the top of my head, but you know, a figure I've heard a lot because I worked in the field for eight months was that if you're, if you're talking about using compressed hydrogen, you've actually taken a third of all the chemical potential energy in that tank of hydrogen to cram it into that tank. Yeah. So you've just imposed uh, uh what do you call that? Not life cycle, but something to tailpipe. I don't know. You've just dropped no. the energy return on energy invested by a third over the theoretical total that you could have. Right. And they were saying, I think they were saying that you don't even have to necessarily use gaseous hydrogen. They were saying you could use any comp compound that contained hydrogen because oh, okay. this graphene barrier was impenetrable. So if hydrogen could get across, but it couldn't get back because there was no chemical in incentive for it to go back okay. at all. And so they were saying you didn't necessarily need pressurized hydrogen. You just needed a fuel source that contained hydrogen. I would be curious to read more on this topic. As would I. And uh, that, I think there's a topic in here where we're, we're going to talk about open, uh, open source science. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to that. Because, yeah, there was behind a paywall and none of us are necessarily going to pay for that as <laughs> civilians, <laughs> non, non, not necessarily working in the scientific field. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk a bit about that later. Absolutely. Was there, was there any other follow-up that you had from last episode? Uh, yeah. So we were talking, or Mike, I believe specifically was talking about beer through coffee or coffee through beer. Beer through coffee. Beer through coffee. Um, yeah. <laughs> I imagine you could operate that based on the principles of like my espresso machine where you tamp down grounds at yeah. a high pressure and then force through high pressure water. Yeah. That's the analogy they used for that system was similar to an espresso maker. It would be interesting, that's for sure. I'm mm -hmm. not sure what it would taste like because, I mean, I've had some coffee porters before and they're all right, but... Yeah. Well, and the, the concept extended more to, like, they, they were talking more about hops and yeah, we, we yeah. talked about dry hopping and... Uh, that that yeah that the process was similar to that but instead of just steeping the hops you're just forcing it through them prior to like on its way into the glass kind of yeah so dry hopping in the sense of brewing is where just at the end of your boil so you usually boil everything for about an hour uh it's just 
at the end of it, you just take a handful of hops and throw them in and slam on the lid and just leave it there for a bit. And so you haven't actually cooked the hops in. You've just thrown thrown it in. And when you dry hop, that's – I believe the dry hopping is for the aroma. So when you add hops earlier in the boil, it's for the bitterness and the flavor. But when you add it later, it's more for the aroma. And I believe, I'm pretty sure, that when you're beer tasting and you burp, that's how you determine what the, you know – true hop aroma is like because burping is an integral part of beer tasting and i think that's great so so when you're if you were to go and try some beers would you be interested in trying hop infused beer using that method of the espresso concept of forcing the beer through the hops on its way into your glass did you see Um, that as a valued value added process i am i like to support those who are willing to try something new if i don't like it then i won't do it again or you know try everything twice because the first time might have been a (laughs) one-off but like i'd try it twice but you know if i like it i like it if i don't i don't but i Mm -hmm. think that i think you know it's interesting it's always worth trying new things um, like it, yeah. it, it multiplies the menu a little bit. Like if you have a beer and it's like, oh, try the same beer, but with whatever kind of hop or whatever kind of aroma added to it. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, and I mean, you can just stick to the Bavarian purity laws and just never try anything <laughs> new. But <laughs> it worked um, for them. Yeah. Well, it's actually it's kind of funny because we went on a tour of the Big Rock Brewery. Mike and I did. And they were saying, you know, the 1516 Bavarian purity laws really influence a lot of what we do here. And if the beer doesn't comply with the 1516 laws, then, you know, it'll basically tell you in the name why it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then you go and look at their taps afterwards. And it's like, so the vast majority of them then don't comply. Because <laughs> <laughs> they like... I mean, it's the specialty taps that they have out in their tasting room, but it's like Scottish heavy doesn't comply. Blueberry doesn't comply. This, 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 this <laughs> doesn't comply. And there are a couple on the end that are just beer. <laughs> right. But they're, they're trying things and yeah. they stick to the recipe so long as you need to, and then break away once it doesn't work anymore, once it doesn't fit your needs. Well, yeah, but the whole point of purity laws are I, that you never deviate from them. I know, but maybe that's a little bit ridiculous and too much. Yeah, no, I mean, I really like Big Rock, especially the Scottish Heavy. It's one of my favorite beers ever, and like that doesn't comply with the purity laws, but I just think it's funny. Yeah. And uh, I included a link under my beer through coffee thing, and since this is a future chat, uh, Second Cup Corporation recently unveiled the Cafe of the Future. Ooh. Yeah. I encourage you to call up that link. Um, basically, they've put an emphasis on the slow cafe, and they've opened their flagship in the uh, Theater District of Toronto. So they've got 
a big semicircular bar with a barista behind it. They've got a bunch of different ways that you can have your coffee brewed. Some of them okay. being very large mach- machines. And uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting and I think will interest you guys is um, they are including electronic outlets at the bar so that you can charge your devices while you're having a coffee. Mm-hmm. And further, they also... Why are you shaking your head? Yeah, because People- we listen to Rob's uh, <laughs> Ask Rob on coffee. However... Uh, if it's still a second cup, they will have Italian soda. How do you feel about that? I've, I've tried Italian soda. It's fine. I was actually shaking my head at uh, at the need for outlets because I always carry around my extra power brick. Okay. Uh, the other thing, uh, not just outlets, but they have the um, uh, induction chargers. So they for have- the three phones that use that. <laughs> it's the cafe of the future, Rob. The future. I know. Can't you I get know. excited about the future, Rob? Rob, eventually iOS will catch up to Android and get on board with the inductive charging. <laughs> Have you ever wirelessly charged your <laughs> eventually, phone? Eventually. We can only hope. Have you wirelessly charged your phone? <laughs> no, because I, 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 don't, I don't have a need to. Oh, well, me either. It's able to. Yeah. What I'm really curious about, you know those <laughs> stoves that uh, do inductive yeah. heating? Yeah, induction cooking. I wonder yeah. if you could just like... Put your phone on it? <laughs> I guess that would work. Oh, I no. I don't think it would. <laughs> this week in Brilliant <laughs> It might cook your phone, but I don't know that it would no, charge why it. why would it cook your phone? I don't well, know. I just have a feeling it would cook your phone. <laughs> well, no. The stoves that uh, cook by induction, they just, you know, they, they shoot the a magnetic field through yeah. a pot. Yeah. But it induces a current in the pot. Yeah. Uh, this is probably why it would cook your phone. It, yeah. It, it would cook your phone enough of a current that, uh, <laughs> the resistance in the metal heats yeah. up and it yeah. boils water really quickly, which is great. But, uh, see, I if wonder your if you like, so here's the stove like down here and here's your phone like way up here. I wonder if that could like that's like 4chan telling people to microwave your phones to charge them it's not at least it's I get what you're trying to do sense. but it's, it could ah, in theory it. work <laughs> i mean sure but not with a traditional conventional microwave it's not well it's they have gonna, they have a specific again. protocols that the charger needs to meet to be compatible <clears throat> yes. to charge your phone like that right yeah yeah there are already competing standards on that yeah because of course there are but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Like the idea that you can just sit down, get your coffee and set your phone down and all of a sudden you're charging. That sounds like a fantastic cafe of yeah. the future. Rob, you can I mean, have hot chocolate. Yeah. In, in the future, hopefully this, this will be built into most furniture where you'd need to sit or it would be built into the, the restaurant itself and it would be sort of like Wi-Fi. They've been talking about medium range induction charging of electronics for a while now like doing it like six feet or so it's again it's not very efficient oh, it would yeah. be like a trickle charge <laughs> no but honestly they've been they've been looking at it and it being just as efficient as current yeah. induction charging where it's sitting on top of it i believe nikola tesla himself looked into the same idea and we know how that worked out it was really great it was i know he was a genius 
Yeah. A little eccentric, but... Uh, Aren't yeah. we all? That's true. <laughs> Any other follow-up? Um, I love you guys so much. I'm so happy <laughs> to be here. Mike, what was your uh, biggest story of the week? My biggest story? Your, your most... Uh. Your most interesting to you story. You can just pick oh, one arbitrarily. If you oh, I don't, I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything specific <laughs> about it. Maybe we can talk a bit about the um, the alternative energy. Maybe not. I, I don't know if you call it alternative energy, but an alternative method of getting hydrocarbons. That's not oh, sucking it out of the ground. That one. I don't know. This I think, I think, that's, I think that's the most scientifically interesting one that I came across. Um, um, so just for a bit of background for our viewers and for you guys, if you need a refresher, um, the main concept was taking seawater, which has the, uh, dissolved carbonic acid in it and grabbing the carbon and hydrogens that are inside of it to use for hydrocarbon production and turn into usable jet fuel. That was the main principle and uh, idea behind it. And they're able to use that process to get enough fuel to power a, I want to say a model plane. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was had a, like a big model plane. Yeah. So it was a proof of concept and they kind of proved it out a little, but cool. you, to, to, to scale it up, I think is the next challenge. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't, you guys can comment on it and give your thoughts. I'm um, curious what scale it was. It wasn't very large scale. Okay. No, it was like, Although, oh, we can do it. Like what I want to add there is basically Rob, I believe like I have just thought of this in the last 20 seconds, but I believe you wrote a blog post on, it was a big factory that basically like manufactured methanol or something like that from just air. That sounds like something maybe a while back, yeah? Yeah, it was a while back. I think in the same post you talked about Office 365. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and it was widely heralded by me on my Facebook wall. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Whoa. There you this go. Is th- this is the picture here of the plane. Okay. So that's, that's the okay, scale so we're talking about. Okay, so it's pretty small. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like with with Rob's criticism of the plant that makes fuel from fresh air, my I have the same criticism where you could probably just use that energy more efficiently some other way, because you end up taking a lot of uh, ener- energetic losses in each conversion step, and so yeah. I'm just. Although, when I said this to Mike when he first showed us the link. The counterpoint was, well, then what are you going to use as fuel? Because it's difficult to fly with batteries. Batteries are heavy. <laughs> That's well, true. You need, you need say, to... Mike. That's an excellent point. Bubble <laughs> repose. <laughs> well, you, need, you need a certain amount of like thrust, too. And I, I don't know if batteries, if their energy output can... It's not about even just energy capacity. It's just the nature in which they well, provide need, the energy. You need... a. That is a concern, and I think you would have to use something like because I mean the reason they use lead acid batteries is that you can have very rapid discharge. Yep. Um, 
but not sustained because then the battery explodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's bad. Which was a great physics lecture, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Stadnik in first year, he he was – and this is why I don't want to be a host. I want to be able to digress this way. Um, yeah, that's fair. Stadnik in first year had – he brought out a car battery and a big wrench for us and went to just you know show the sparks that happen when you add – when you uh, short the battery. And he's like – so, before I do this, the problem with this demonstration is if I don't do it quickly, the heat will weld the wrench to the battery. <laughs> and if it does that, the battery will start generating hydrogen and it will explode. <laughs> so, if I run out of room... You have day off. You leave. You go be happy. <laughs> Class is dismissed. Uh, although class wasn't dismissed. Yeah. Because it, it, it worked fine. Fortunately and unfortunately, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, so my, um, my counter to this, this specific scheme, would be I would far rather see, and I know Rob will not be surprised at all to hear this, but I would rather see something like switchgrass used in the process. <laughs> I was, I was going to joke and be like switchgrass power jet planes. And then well, you actually yeah, said no, because you can actually do that. Like you can take, uh, you can take a uh, biomass of any sort and then gasify it. So, but when you do that, you wind up with syngas. So carbon monoxide yeah. and hydrogen, and you can take those because that's also what they extracted from the oceans, as I understand it. Yeah. And you can take that and uh, make it into methanol or, well, methanol is easy, but you can also do a bunch of other processes that are energetically costly and get, you know, different hydrocarbon fractions. But I would almost rather see biomass used for something like that. I mean, it would take a lot of energy, but... I just think it's far more efficient at this stage in the game. Yeah. The the next fuel revolution will probably come when we move beyond syngas. The first when we first discovered syngas in the what was it, the nineteen thirties, twenties or thirties? A long time ago. Yeah. They uh every process has pretty much been let's get to syngas from whatever fuel source, and then from there it's easy. And uh yeah. so if we can move beyond that requirement and find some other more efficient way to, to get to fuel, then I think we'll be better off than we are now. Yeah. But it's a, it's a great proof of concept to see a, a human weighted plane or slightly less than a human. I can't really tell, but, <laughs> but dog size, can we say dog size? Yeah. Plane? I'll say dog size plane. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a pretty big dog, but still <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was pretty cool though. Like it's yeah. an interesting engineering challenge anyway yeah, yeah. I, I feel that it's i don't know if you guys watched the show shark tank or dragon's den the canadian variant on it i've only seen um, a couple episodes yeah so there's one guy that came on one time and he proposed a cyclone generator that harnessed the energy of the coriolis effect to turn turbines that generated electricity or power. So wind power? And then, (laughs) 
I, I don't know. It, he didn't go into the whole scientific details of it, but it sounded kind of it, yeah crazy. He probably and, should and, have. And one of the byproducts was that he he harvested gold from the ocean, and then that was Ooh. supposed to make money too. So this this kind of smells of that a little bit of kind of like sure you can do it, but I don't know if it's worth if it yeah. pays off in the long term. Yeah. That's interesting. Hey, yeah. Try new things. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Keep trying. I would say to that guy, <laughs> go, go back and don't look for gold in the ocean. Cause it's really, really minute traces <laughs> uh, to quote Michael Faraday, but still try for who knows what is possible. It's a good quote. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a great, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk this week about, a story that I, I just thought was interesting from a technology perspective. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in the last few years about how we're running out of IP addresses. Mm-hmm. And the solution to that, because we were on, we were on IPv4, which used 32 bit IP addresses. And that got us about 2.1, 2.2 billion devices connected to the internet at any given time without, without network addressing things that you can do like workarounds basically you could you could get a maximum of two point something billion and so you started to get up to into numbers of things around the number of people on earth and the solution to this problem was that we went to ipv6 which used 64-bit addresses and gave us something like six sextillion addresses like it was way more than we would ever need you could have each person on earth could have two billion devices and you'd still be fine. Like there's so many, there's so many addresses. And uh, so this week YouTube encountered a similar problem where we finally had a YouTube video that used up an entire signed 32 bit number of views, which is about, again, about 2.1, 2.2 billion. And you obviously the, the software engineers at YouTube knew this was coming. They, they knew they were using a signed uh, floating point 32-bit number to represent views. And so they, they adapted this very quickly. And there's actually on the, if you go to, it was a Gangnam Style was the video that, that broke this number for the first time. And it's, it's ahead by a long shot. And so now if you go to the Gangnam Style video on YouTube and you hover your mouse over the, the view counter, it will actually go, it'll actually wrap around past 2.1 billion and show you the number it'll it'll wrap to negative 2.1 billion because it's a signed number if i don't know if you guys know much about uh how integers work in computers but no nope. it's it's really interesting it just it basically it lets you uh, a 32 bit number represented by ones and zeros the largest uh decimal number you can represent is about 4.2 billion like twice this number this 2 billion number but when you're using a signed bit the first bit is a negative or a positive and so you can use it to represent any number from negative 2.1 billion up to positive 2.1 billion and so if you you're using a 32-bit number to represent a number that's bigger than 2.1 billion it will wrap from positive 2.1 underneath all the way up to negative 2.1 and so if you if you hover over the mouse it'll it'll wrap the number instead of converting it to a higher number which is just like, it's a cute Easter egg that the Google engineers cooked up when they, as they saw this problem coming, but long story short, 
as with IP addresses, YouTube views are now using a 64-bit number or 64-bit container. So we again have a video could be watched six sextillion times before we encounter this problem again. I just thought it's really cool computer engineering. (laughs) Yeah. At some point, Gangnam Style, I think Charlie Bit My Finger was also up there in the top 10 views all time. One of those videos will eventually be viewed multiple billions of times by each human living on Earth. And so (laughs) we'll have to use a 228-bit integer for video views. And I'm so happy that Gangnam Style got that that, uh, honor, we'll call it. Yeah. (laughs) Because there are so many more videos that are very high up in the views and quite undeserving. Because, yeah. I mean, Gangnam Style was artistic in so many ways. <laughs> it really was. Like it, it, no, it actually is a, it's a, uh, yeah. a damning review yeah. of the lifestyle of the people of Gangnam. Yeah. It's, it's funny because anyone who's into K-pop is wondering why that specific video yeah. got the attention it did because they're like, all the videos are like this, like, like all, like any sort of K-pop type thing. It's like, it's kind of weird and catchy and whatever, but kitschy, I think is the word you're looking for. Campy. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, yeah, this one just happened to get the attention and yeah. Cause motivated change in YouTube's <laughs> number locking process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, it reminds me of the, uh, Randall Monroe talked about, I think in one of his XKCD cartoons, Rob might remember this if Mike doesn't, uh, they were talking about, you know, Y2K was going to be such a huge problem, but they were saying like 2048 is going to be a terrible, horrible time <laughs> Yeah, because that's when all the 32 bit operating systems are going to hit their end of, of years. Yeah, and the computers that we're using, uh, whatever is vulnerable to the year two thousand, uh, are so many, or there's such a small fraction of the thirty-two bit computers that are going to run out of dates in twenty forty-eight. Yeah, hopefully so, we'll have moved uh, on by then. Let's hope everyone's using sixty-four bit operating systems by that point. <laughs> I will try to find that comic so we can put a link to it, but I can't promise anything because I have no, I reckon, I remember it, but I have no idea where I would find it by searching. Right, I'm I mean, on it. Keep talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Mike, do you have another story you want to share with us? I have lots of stories. I know. Um, <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about uh, scientific papers for a little yeah. bit. Because I think at this point there's at least two that are of interest and they're semi-related kind of. Um, so the first I one, jump in. I got it. Okay. It'll be in the notes. Yeah. Um, so the first one is that, what is it? Nature that has allowed for links to papers who are from paid subscribers to share the link and the access becomes free as long as that specific link is used. So I I don't know the exact method they're going to do it. If it's going to be like a link generation type thing, where it's a unique one that is assigned to whoever a user so they can track it or trace 
where the link came from or that kind of thing. But the the whole point is that you may see the end of paywalls when it comes to um, journal art entries from nature that are being shared in, in media, which would be great. So the problem I see there, it, like I'm assuming this is read-only access. You're not going to be able to download these or anything like that. Uh, I possibly, I remember there's a, there's a part in the article that I read that mentioned that before you could download PDFs and email them, but yeah, now you can share a read only link, I believe. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's technically better, I guess, but people are probably still going to share PDFs because that's even easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're writing an article for like the wall street journal, you can't just put like a torrent to a PDF. Like you could, but chances are it's just easier to share the link to the abstract. Yeah. Now was, was your reference to the New York times? I said Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal. Sorry. You're right. Um, Was that intentional? Because the Wall Street Journal also (laughs) has a paywall. No, I know. I, the reason I, the reason I thought that, because I just recently tried reading a Wall Street Journal link and it said you had to subscribe to finish reading the article. So, have you have you have you read about the workaround? I'm going to share it now for those no. of you that haven't. Uh, if you take the title of that article and put it into Google, googling a Wall Street Journal article will let you read the whole thing. Oh. Even when you click on a link, it won't. But if you go to Google, search for the title of the article, it'll pop right up with the re- in the results. You click that Google link, and it will give you the full <laughs> version without subscribing. Or you <laughs> can just use uh, an incognito window, can't you? No. Oh paywall. no, this is something different. Sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting though, and I um, I use that all the time. <laughs> the uh, the Journal of the Electrochemical Society is also moving towards uh, free and open access. I think it's they made it such that you can pay like a three hundred dollar fee for, and this is for the next few years. You'll be able to pay a fee and then uh, make your article open source okay but in the next like they're looking to within the next few years become just completely open source right which will be tremendous for uh, electrochemical research everywhere because i mean chemistry has some of the worst uh what is it it's the fee structure like it's the most expensive yeah it's pretty terrible is chemistry articles. So by, by trying to avoid paywalls, are we doing a disservice to the hardworking scientists in our industry trying to make a living? No. And, and get their no. articles published. So publishers unequivocally. Be no, no, because no? The, they don't make money from it. It's the publishers, no, I know that make money from the scientists, it. but the publishers are the ones that publish the article. So if they're not making money, then why would they do well, they're they doing publishing? a crappy job anyway. Yeah. Like if you see really some crappy of the crap job. that gets published, and I do mean crap, like things that people yeah. make up or yeah. like. Are, is this well, a, is this a purposeful segue? Because that would be my next. No, article. like oh. actual no, crap. Like, yeah, you have headings where it's like elemental analysis. Hey, Cheryl, I can't get to this. You do it. Just make something up like that actual phrase got into yeah. a published article. Yeah. And so like, yeah, if they were doing a great job of it, maybe they would deserve some of that, you know, tons and tons of money that they're harvesting from people. Yeah. But you know what? 
No, they're doing a crappy job. Yeah. That's, that's come to light a lot more recently, too. At least it seems like it has been. Because um, I guess the apparently... Internet, people can search a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. And apparently it's a thing now for websites to pose as peer-reviewed journals and accept papers and charge fees for them yep. mm-hmm. to the scientists and also to the people accessing them. And yeah. they're not peer-reviewed or actual journals at all. Well, they're, and, they're, I think they're called predatory journals. Mm-hmm. They're, they basically will take your money to publish your article, but there's yeah. no review process. There's no, they're just trying to take your money. Yeah. And there's been a couple journalists slash scientists recently that have exploited those efforts and shown be like, you know, submit a completely bogus journal or a completely bogus uh, paper. And it's been accepted and they're like, okay, give us your $500. Like, but it's like, that wasn't even a real paper. Like, yeah. so obviously no one actually read it or did any sort of review of it. Well, and that's aside from what, what you were saying, Nick, like, cause I've, I've read things too, where, yeah, you'll have the, in the, the side notes, like, Oh, like insert that crappy paper by whoever here, like, like, and that was like an actual thing. Oh, that crappy paper by, and then they named whatever scientist. And then that actually got into the published paper. Yeah. That comment. Yeah. So it's like, that's its own thing. But then there's, there's other uh, issues where it comes to just bogus journals, period. Well, and, and I, I mean, I've talked to some people in the field who I don't think I'll name right now, <laughs> but like they were saying it used to be, you know, you would get actually called out in the literature if you did a crappy job of a paper, mm-hmm. but they don't really do that as much anymore. But I mean, it's not exactly a new problem. Like if you're familiar with the SoCal affair or SoCal anyway, it's uh, what did he do? He published an article called transgressing the boundaries towards a transformative hermeneutics of quantum gravity. And he published that in a journal called uh, social text or something like that. And they didn't practice peer review. And so he just took a bunch of quotations from people who didn't know what they were talking about and then like took it out of context and just pieced a bunch of that together and said, Wow, guys, quantum gravity, it's a look at all the fancy stuff, guys. And they were like, yeah, this is great. Let's publish it. And then like simultaneously, he sent uh, an article to another journal. It's like, look, I just submitted a complete and utter crap to this other journal and they're (laughs) going to publish it. Just you watch. So publish this at the same time. And (laughs) that happened. It's pretty brilliant, actually. It's great. Yeah. There, there was an article here specifically that you wanted to mention, Mike. Was there one about uh, the Simpsons or re- oh, referencing yeah. the Simpsons? That was just one I came across today, and it reminded me. But, um, yeah, like it, I don't know. It, it was one that it was a paper that was submitted by someone again trying to exploit these predatory uh, journals, and he generated a paper through like a, a science text generator, like literally automated 
garbage. And then the authors he listed as like like Margaret Simpson, Edna Krabappel, and <laughs> some other person. It's like Kim Jong Fun or something like that. <laughs> and they're like, "Yep, great, yeah, I accepted. Give us your money." And I, I again, I can't remember if it got published, but it got accepted, right? As as a paper to the journal, and it was the the authors were kind of its own giveaway, and then. Yeah. The text itself was generated from a science generator, science text generator. So it wasn't even like an actual. Now, is this is this at all related to the guy who made a scientific paper out of the words "Take me off your effing mailing list"? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. was good. Yeah, that was the other one. That was the first one I read about this, and okay. yeah, that was that was another good one. That was yeah. spectacular. <laughs> I actually. I didn't read it so much as scrolled through it and looked at the stuff he'd done, but he'd made like yeah. some good graphs. Yes, he yeah. made graphs with it. <laughs> <laughs> it was very well done. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that was, I, that was clever. There's another piece here that uh, we should talk about to do with Google, and so it's the fact that they have, and I don't know if either of you have used this yet or, or come across it, but. They have a new capture captcha system called Recaptcha, uh, or it's re- it's called Recaptcha Uncapture, I think. Because mm-hmm. Recaptcha is already a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And have you have you guys seen it in practice? I, I had it a couple times already. I have. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. So basically, it uses better technology than just filling out, like taking your original captcha picture and trying to parse the text that's got lines through it and it's all squiggly and hard to read to prove that you're a human and it it takes sort of modern scientific computer science things that only humans would do so for instance the one that i had it was a it was just a a checkbox like a big checkbox and it said i am a human and at first i went and like i tried to click on it and it didn't do anything. And then I moved my, I wiggled my mouse around on the checkbox a bit. And then the check mark just highlighted. So it took me uh, moving the mouse around on the box because hmm. no, a robot's not going to do that. It's just, it's very interesting. And some, they were saying that sometimes it will just automatically be like, Oh, yep. We have searched through whatever data we needed to. And, and it's right. very obvious they're a human. And then in some cases it's going to be your behavior will be more robot like. And so they'll have other verifications where you, so they'll show you a bunch of pictures and you have to tell which ones are, are cats or which ones are yeah. whatever object. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's yeah. And so they were, they basically what, what brought this up was that Google themselves were able to design a bot that could beat 98% of captures. And so it was like, all right, we, <laughs> this is useless now because mm-hmm. robots can do it just as well as, as humans can. And cause obviously many of us have failed doing the captures because <laughs> yeah. some of them are literally unreadable. Yeah. But, uh, so this new I, one. Yeah. I was going to say like so, recently anyway, some of them have gotten pretty bad. Yeah. Like it's like type this in. It's like, ah, I, I, it's <laughs> especially the ones. Is that a Q or yeah. a seven? Especially the ones that have like a J or an I and it'll have like the little dot, but you can't oh, yeah. see which one it is. And it's like, or an O and an A, sometimes they look similar and it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty excited about the future of this because my experience with it was, 
it's actually captures maybe used to be kind of fun when they were new, but now they're just horrible. (laughs) And so this is, this is a lot better process. Yeah. Proving your human has never been any more fun, (laughs) which is a great segue into the next segment I wanted to talk about, (laughs) uh, which is movies. There's two things. So movies, there's a bunch of science and interesting technology movies that have come out recently. And, there's also a couple of trailers that have come out for movies that are coming out next year that also look interesting that maybe we could talk about. And so I take it that none of us have, have, have you guys been to any movies recently? Cause I'm thinking this should be phrased more as yeah. if you haven't seen these movies, they're really good and you should go see them. And we're also going to go see them over the holidays or over the next few weeks anyways. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the movies we're specifically talking about yet. Yeah. Neither have I, but I'm really excited to see them yeah. all. I've, I saw Gone Girl, which was stellar. <laughs> was it about science or technology? Um, <laughs> I, I'm honestly curious because I didn't think there, they were, but maybe they are. There is an element of psychology okay. in it, I suppose. Like I, it's a psychological I, thriller. <laughs> yeah. I saw Divergent. That one actually wasn't too Okay. Bad. It was kind of yeah. cool. It was okay. Yeah. yeah. It was my problem with Divergent was it was like I knew it was a young adult. Uh, book m- book series yeah and it was like the whole premise of the movie is oh look this person is a special snowflake <laughs> can't imagine who that's pandering to <laughs> have you guys seen this, the snl sketch where they make fun of all of the young adult novels where they everyone is their own special snowflake oh it's really good it was, uh, <laughs> it was a few weeks ago now but they they took aspects of things like the Hunger Games, the Giver, right. uh, Divergent series, oh, yeah, all the of these things that have just come out. And uh, yeah, they, they had all the young because they got a bunch of new players that are in their early 20s. And they all they like just such a good job completely tearing those movies apart. It was quite good. It's good. I'll try Can to find you, a link uh, to it. But NBC is pretty litigious when it comes to video. Awesome. Uh, but so, yeah, let's start with, uh, let's start with movies that we should all go see and obviously haven't seen yet. I want to start with, by saying this is a pre spoiler, uh, for interstellar cause none of us have seen it. So we can't spoil it. Yep. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I like the, 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 I love Christopher Nolan movies. And so I think like, this is going to be the only podcast where people will talk about interstellar who haven't seen it yet. <laughs> But it, but after it's come out, uh, all I've heard is that there there are lots of like it's a very very good movie and there's moments that are very easy to spoil like that there are a lot of spoiler worthy moments. I have had pretty much the whole movie spoiled for me by myself, as I've written about before that I don't really care about spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think? Like. Are you going, are you, is it like on the musty list? Is it maybe I'll have time to get to it? Honestly, I don't, I see maybe two movies a year. So chances are, if it ends up on Netflix, I might catch it. <laughs> <laughs> not I not that gonna, I don't want to see it, just that I probably won't get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I might watch it later. Although the only major motivation I've had for seeing Interstellar was, uh, Stuff You Should Know did a podcast on terraforming. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah, And they were talking about how that related to Interstellar. And I was like, oh, 
Well, I think the idea of terraforming is just endlessly fascinating. So maybe I will go see this movie that is somehow right. related. I'm not actually sure because I <laughs> haven't seen it. So what is the movie about, though? Because I've heard really good things about it, too. Is it just uh, so, like is it like a space thriller? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a e- very easy way to not spoil a movie in describing it because I haven't seen it. But so basically, there are scientists that are sent to different regions of I I don't know how far they go, but they go through wormholes to to other places with the hope that they'll be able to colonize those places. And so they have some good candidates, and they're they're sending teams out. And in some cases, I think they've already sent teams before but they didn't hear back and so there there's hmm. stuff to do with time change and how we, we wouldn't expect to hear back because it will have been so long by the time they're able to get back that yeah so there's a hmm. lot of they, there's a there's a book that came out from one of the theoretical physicists that was involved as a producer on the movie kip thorne uh it's just basically the whole book goes into the science of interstellar and it's basically done in a very realistic way with regards to the, the physics uh, that we know about wormholes, about black holes, about all kinds of like, basically all the astrophysics we know are as close as you can be to, to write with, while keeping with sort of cinematic intrigue and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to see it. And I, I don't know that I'll get the chance. My friends all went on a night when I wasn't able to make it. And so I'm going to have to go out of my way to see it or convince them to see it again. <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty excited. I I have also heard Matthew McConaughey is in it, yes? Yes. I've heard that he has very attractive hands. And oh. A lot of, at least a non-trivial number of women will go to see Interstellar <laughs> just so that they might see Matthew McConaughey's hands. <laughs> oh, interesting. So he takes I, his gloves off often in this movie is what you're saying. To show you his very Maybe. nice hands. Well, they're <laughs> like they were going on the hopes that they would see some of Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, because he is frequently shirtless in his movies. He, he is, yeah, and also <laughs> tilted in the movie posters. <laughs> his best angle is not straight up and down. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. So the next one on the list here that I've put on, uh, basically everything I see, or every every movie that I want to see. Somebody goes on The Daily Show to talk about it, one of the actors or the director or whatever. And so Benedict Cumberbatch was on The Daily Show talking about uh, The Imitation Game, which is a movie about Alan Turing's life, which if for those people who aren't familiar, Alan Turing was the guy who basically developed a lot of the theories we use today about computer intelligence. And one of the reasons that we that we need CAPTCHAs is is because of the, the theoretical work that he did at the beginning of computer intelligence with the, 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 the Turing test in computer science is, is a test where a computer has to demonstrate to a panel of judges that they can, they can act, uh, to, to an outsider, to a third party as though they are human. Like they can convince a human, a, another human that they are also human and not a robot. Is a Turing test more of a conceptual like thought experiment these days, I think? I don't think people give it as much credibility to actually... No, they actually perform Turing tests. They they have actually performed Turing tests. Like yeah. they, no, right. They, they actually do them. Right. But I, I, they I, see I think... if you can beat like 
beat chance in predicting whether or not this machine yeah. is a human or not. Yeah. But a lot of it, I think, what I've read recently anyways, it plays into a lot of people's biases or expectations. Like, say someone who's, like, if it's not, like, like a second language or a certain maturity level, then you don't interpret it the same way as, like, even though it's a human behind it, you'll be like, oh, this guy's a robot, but it's just... Right, but that isn't that aspects. kind of enough. Like, well, what more do you want? <laughs> what do you mean? If you, you, no, if you can behave like a French human work. speaking English and get confused, like one of the examples of of a robot that beat the Turing test at least once uh, was because the human counterpart they they asked a question about Sarah Palin. And the human had never heard of Sarah Palin. Mm-hmm. And so when they, the robot was able to, to go along in conversation, whereas the human said, who's Sarah Palin? They were like, oh, well, that's obviously the robot. So they got, they mixed them up. But it's, we're at the point now that it's like pop culture references are the, the distinguishing factor. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think that's a fair, like, determining factor when you're trying to figure out who's a robot when it comes to that kind of stuff. Right. But like, it's a human judging. That's, right, that's a, the, a subjective that is the judgment. Test. Right. But it's a panel, though. Yeah, that's the test. The, the panel's still subjective and a certain number of people. Yeah, what are you saying? human-based tests. Like, how yeah. do you get a machine to test whether a machine sounds like a human? <laughs> that is the Turing test. There's no, there's no better designator of what's artificial intelligence and what isn't yet. Yeah. Although the other thing I was going to ask is, uh, does it go into his work during World War II at all? Yeah, it, that's what it's mostly about. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, like, that's, yeah, he was behind the Turing test, but he also cracked the Enigma machine. Yeah, yeah. And was sterilized for being a homosexual. Yeah, it's, there's the a lot of know. issues it goes into. Uh, yeah, it's it's his life. It's not, it's not all about the artificial intelligence, but it, yeah. it's a... It's a really crazy story, but it looks again like a very, very good yeah. movie. Well, and the theory of everything's a similar, a similar concept, I think, as far yeah. as looking at the life of Stephen Hawking versus just his, his theories. Yeah. Mm. It's uh, yeah. So that I believe the theory of everything is, is sort of his whole life as his, like it starts off with him young and pretty much fully healthy, not like the Stephen Hawking that we grew up thinking about Mm -hmm. and it's it's very interesting to see someone go through that and again like that's another movie that i haven't seen but i'm i really want to see and as soon as it comes out i'm probably not going to see it in theaters but as soon as it comes out i'm gonna get right on that our now ex-roommates uh went to see it and they said it was very good although actually i remember the first time i saw a picture of hawking like before he was in the chair and just being surprised because I had never considered that there was a time when he wasn't wheelchair bound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Great man. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly yeah. good movie. <laughs> I bet, I bet we'll see a, a Feynman movie at some point because mm. he, he was a very eccentric and yeah. vibrant character. Like I don't he know if you guys ever read his, his, uh, memoir slash, autobiography biography kind of yeah about uh the surely you must be joking mr Feynman. i know i read that a while ago and i really enjoyed that book highly recommend it Hmm. cool yeah 
So uh, let's move now to future movies, movies that are coming mm-hmm. out in the future. And, and I, I guess one of them is set in the past, in the very, very far past. Uh, the Star Wars <laughs> long, trailer long came time out. ago. Yeah. The, uh, the Star Wars trailer came out in the past week. Have you guys, you guys watched it? I hope. Yeah. I hope you watched it now because we told you to watch it <laughs> right before the show. It's only a minute and a half. What do you guys think of it? It was a movie trailer. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, everyone, there was so much uproar over the movie and there really was. I saw it and I was like, yep, that's a trailer. I, <laughs> I'm going to disclaim it first off that I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a Star Wars fan. I'll watch a Star Wars movie, you know, it's they're they're movies. Yeah. And I saw a 10 minute, I didn't even watch the entire thing. I saw a 10 minute breakdown of this minute (laughs) and a half trailer and a whole bunch of spec. Yeah, I know a whole bunch of speculation and like, Oh, in this screenshot, you can see this thing and this thing. And this means this. And it's like, Okay. Well, I mean, have you ever seen critical analysis of poetry? Especially like I've I remember in high school, even like we did a poetry unit and you could write hundreds upon hundreds of words about like a 20 word poem or something like that. It's just. Yeah. yeah. It's surprising how much content you can generate from comparatively very little. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> the, yeah. That's why I, I, when I actually, I watched it, at, like I saw that it was a thing at work. And so I wasn't able to actually watch and listen to it at the time. But so I just recently, like I just this morning watched the, the full trailer with sound and everything. And I was surprised after hearing that, for instance, there's a podcast that I don't, I don't actually listen to, but I heard that they talked, they did a whole hour podcast about the teaser, like just dissecting it and there i was listening to a podcast this morning it spent over an hour talking about the star wars universe not just the trailer and i watched and i was like this is what they were talking about this is like it was it was like 30 seconds of actual footage there was so much black space or there was so much like there was a a bunch of stuff at the end that wasn't part of the trailer there was like 10 seconds the beginning where there was just black like it was literally 30 seconds of content at most and yeah, it tells you nothing about the movie, which I guess is the point of a teaser. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, that's the thing is that this video I saw, this breakdown of it, apparently the trailer did tell you a lot about the movie. Apparently. Like, like, okay, I'll give you an example. Say, like, the lightsaber, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is so the natural we- <laughs> evolution. Because in the original trilogy, there was just one-bladed lightsabers. Yep. <laughs> when the prequels came out, they went to two blades and now we yeah. we have the natural evolution so, to so three. The breakdown of this lightsaber was that they read into it as, okay, well, it looks like a pretty hacked together lightsaber. You know, it's like flickering and the sound of it was all crackly and whatever. So usually it's like a boom, boom. This was like, so it's like, okay, it's some like guy who just hacked together lightsaber. So it's some like, because I guess the whole thing's like the Sith is rising back up because yeah. they were gone and now this guy is going to rise, rise again. So mm. they like read into it like that and that it was like a good guy that's going to turn bad and a bad that's going to turn good. And I don't know. There's, there's a whole bunch of like reading into these little like cues. Yeah. And now that's... we are criticizing the criticisms. <laughs> <laughs> We've In got essence, a full yes. meta here. 
I, I honestly, the, the whole lightsaber thing, there's been so much said about the shape of it and how it's terrible. Um, Stephen Colbert talked about it and Stephen Colbert is a, is a well-known star Wars fanatic. Like he knows the universe very well. And he was like, I like his breakdown saying that it's all one blade underneath the metal handle that you can't see. And so basically the metal that is there, I guess it's metal. I don't know what material it is, is there so that the person doesn't hit their hands against the blade, but inside the thing, there's it's all one blade so if you s- smashed through the metal it's literally just there to protect the hand so the hand doesn't uh. melt but it it's not gonna get damaged <laughs> like they're not separate <laughs> things or you can just cut right through and cut your hand off <laughs> i gotta watch some uh colbert and daily show from this week yeah yeah but the whole Although, thing is that if you like hold the lightsaber like this and like turn it around it's gonna like slice your own hand off though i thought that was a whole thing but you get gonna- trained on that on how not to do that. <laughs> I mean, that seems, I mean, if you look at when I was a kid, I had a book called arms and armor. I don't know if you guys did because no. apparently it was very popular. Anyway, they go into like swords and why they have that cross shape there. And it's so that when you're engaged in a sword fight, a sword can't slide down yours and then cut off your arm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it makes perfect sense through that lens. Yeah. Yeah, they were saying that if it's three separate blades, you would get down to the bottom and you just cut through the part underneath the the, the lightsaber part. Mm. But yeah, Stephen was saying that it's all joined underneath the metal. You just can't see it. So you'd hit it yeah. and you'd like maybe melt that metal away, but it wouldn't cut your hand off. But the whole thing is that usually the hilt doesn't also cut you. Like your hilt's not made out of blades. It's made out of other You still don't metal. want your hand to hit. The- no, wait, what's the hilt? That cross shape part. The cross guard is, is, I think, different than a hilt. Is it? Okay, well, cross guard then. Usually yeah. the cross guard is not other blades. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're... Fair, but your hand should be on the grip, not anything else. If, if you're taking your hands off the grip, you got a whole host of other problems. Yeah. <laughs> it, presumably you're able to turn that off separately. <laughs> you know what? I actually... I have a friend who has gotten into dueling with medieval uh, weapons. And we really should have gotten her for this part of the we show. We should have. What were we thinking? <laughs> Tiffany, if you watch these, and I don't think you do, but if you watch them, please contact us. Yeah, we need some follow-up on that. <laughs> uh, the other movie, because I'm going to move right past Star Wars because we could talk about it for way too long considering none of us are really that big fans of Star Wars. <laughs> I loved is Star the Wars Jurassic... as a kid. The Empire Strikes Back is an amazing movie. It, that's true. It's, I, also, I watched it probably two years ago. Also, but, uh, uh, yeah. that, that video that the government of Norway released via torrent, which is just they strapped a camera onto the front of a train and let it go for like 23 hours or something like that <laughs> in full HD. That actually goes through the setting of Hoth, which oh yeah, is, yeah, interesting. Yeah, like you sit and watch it for about ten minutes, and within the first little while of the movie, it goes through Hoth, which is awesome. That is cool. <laughs> yeah, I totally have the torrent. Highly recommend not, you get it. I've not heard about that movie, that uh, film, video. Oh, you, it's it's really funny, <laughs> but, and uh, yeah. 
if you put it on during well while you're talking to someone, it's surprisingly interesting to watch. Interesting. Norway Are you watching it right now? Place. <laughs> no, I'm not, but you know, could be. So the other the other trailer that I want to talk about is the Jurassic World trailer, which came out two weeks ago now. Have you guys seen that one? I have not. But I've oh. I've heard scientific criticism. But I've not seen the trailer. Yeah, there was a lot of scientific. Uh, I'm going to say backlash, but it, that's not the right word because it's just a movie uh, <laughs> talking about how the, these are dinosaur hybrids and they're not really going to be. They're not real dinosaurs, first of all, and it's a little bit weird scientifically to be depending on that. Oh, maybe that's addressed within the. Um, yeah, exactly. But uh, one of the things they were saying is the reason that the studio decided to make to use hybrid dinosaurs was so that they could license toys because lawyers had said over after the previous movies, you're no, you're no longer allowed to license toys of dinosaurs that are just regular dinosaurs, like that already exist oh. in, in history. Mm. So they had to make up new dinosaurs <laughs> so that they, they could sell toys for them. Like Pokemon? Like Similar, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't... I'm not optimistic for Jurassic World because... I actually read Jurassic Park. I read The Lost World and they were just phenomenal. Crichton was just amazing in those books. And so you watch Jurassic Park, you watch you watch The Lost World and they aren't nearly as good as the books and I've never seen a a movie based on Michael Crichton that was as good as the book, but that's just the nature of movies versus books yeah. I find. Yeah. And then Jurassic Park 3 came out, which was not based on a Michael Crichton book, and it was comparative crap. (laughs) And so, like, given that you've just told me, like, actually, they've made dinosaur hybrids so they can sell more toys. It's like, well, my expectations have slid lower. I'm not sure how that was possible, (laughs) but it's happened. Yeah. So is there a Jurassic World book? Or are they completely gone from... It's Jurassic Park and the Lost World, okay, and that only is two. the suite. And I highly recommend you go read them because they are very good. Interesting. Science fiction. And Creighton also does, apparently he does a lot of research whenever he writes science fiction, so that it actually like passes the sniff test. Right. Yeah. The scientific sniff test. <laughs> Still counts. I'm sure. going to do some, some live follow-up. I think we're pretty much ready to end this week uh but i also want to recommend a book uh called the martian by andy weir it is a book about a guy who gets stranded on mars and again like we were talking about terraforming earlier yeah and it's very interesting how he tries to survive on mars there's a lot of there's a lot of science and biology and physics and stuff that goes into it it's a very good movie or a very good book as well they're they're making it into a movie apparently in the next year or two. Mm. It, this guy is a guy that wrote this book. No publisher was going to take it, was going to, went for the idea. And so he basically wrote it on his own, kept sending out, he sent out chapters to people via whatever method he was using, whether it was Word documents or whatever. But he was basically like, take this, read it. If you want, like, donate some money or whatever. Maybe he had a campaign set up. And then he got to a certain point, like finished the book and it was getting critical acclaim from people that were reading it. And then they just, Amazon was like, Oh, well, great. Let's, let's do this now or whatever publisher it was. Uh, 
Yeah. So it started off as this thing that nobody wanted anything to do with. And now that once it was done, everyone was just like, wow, this is so good. And, and it really is a very good book. Hmm. Well, we'll, we'll put links to all of these things. Yeah. Sorry. Down. Back to Jurassic Park though. Jurassic world. Yeah. I, I heard a lot of criticism because the dinosaurs didn't have feathers. <laughs> I actually like this was a problem for a great many scholars. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. But, All right. But they have the out of they're not actually dinosaurs. So That's true. Like that that could potentially be addressed because they're not real dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, do you have to is Jurassic Park World Canon does it involve real science or are we talking about a completely fictitious universe? Like just because we know more about dinosaurs than we did when the first movies came out, do we have to advance the, the science? You have to, I mean, you obviously you can, but it, it involves like, I would say that the principles of everything. And again, I haven't read it in a very long time. And I would like to reread it now that I'm talking about it, but uh, <laughs> it involved a lot of stuff to do with genetics and it was an emerging field at the time that it was written. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some of the things they suggest might be a matter of engineering or technically challenging, but I don't see why it would be a problem. Like it, I mean, everything seemed reasonable and I was much younger and didn't have a bachelor's when I read it, but you know, right. It didn't seem terribly unreasonable. Like the, the whole DNA extraction from mosquitoes embedded in Amber. I don't know if DNA would survive that long, but right. Well, they've, they've, they've done some stuff. I I don't know how I, they, I think they, they've extracted think, woolly mammoth DNA from. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, maybe it's a difference in time scales and that yeah. would become problematic, but like it's fine in theory, maybe. But the, and the other big thing was uh, they made it so that they couldn't generate a certain amino acid. So they had to be fed a source of that amino acid. Otherwise, they would just straight up die. Because it, they manufactured an essential amino acid because they switched off the gene that was responsible for it. I imagine that would be actually be like a whole host of genes or something like that. Yeah. That you could just easily explain it away. Well, they, you know, switched off all the genes responsible for it. I don't remember all, all of it, but I think it was guanine maybe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good way to do it. That's a good way to make sure your dinosaurs don't go crazy. Like, well, that's the idea. If they ever got out into the wild, they would just die off because they wouldn't be able to get guanine. Unless they ate each other. <gasps> I don't think spoilers, that would work. Guys, spoilers. <laughs> I don't think that would work very long. <laughs> I'll say for now, if you guys want to find the show, you can talk out to us directly on Twitter at Future Chats. You'll be able to find this episode by heading to futurechat.me and you can find us on Facebook as usual but uh, don't bother because Facebook's a waste of time 
You really want to go and, to Google Plus to find us, right? Yeah. yeah. Searching Google Plus for Future Chat, searching YouTube for Future Chat work as well. You can find the videos where you can find our more professionally produced podcast at futurechat.me now. But uh, we're enjoying me, this format. Comma now. Yes. <laughs> Futurechat.me now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if you're enjoying the format, let us know. If you hate the format, also let us know. Probably more pressingly, let us know if you hate it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to keep like, this up as long as we can. If you're like the entirety of our viewers thus far, just remain silent about it. Don't tell yeah. us anything. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter and say nothing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's actually a thing. There's an actual registered... Uh, threshold of people or percentage of people that will respond to podcasts or to, to certain types of media. And it's the way it's like 0.1% of people. So we'll, we hit a thousand. We'll get someone who responds <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> if you are that person, please get out here. We want to hear from you. <laughs> hmm. All right. We'll wrap it up for the week and uh, we'll see you guys next Saturday. See you then. Bye.